let's jump into uh, James chapter 1. Uh, this is an expository, verse by verse, break it down, explain it. And uh, l- let me remind you what we were doing at the beginning of it. It was talking about trials. If you're going through trials, you should praise God for it. Uh, the trying of your faith worketh patience. And, and it's not, praise God that you're going through a hard time, but all things work together for good. And you should know that God is doing something through this. The trying of your faith, it's not just trials like God's just going to uh, make you go through a hard time or let your kid have cancer. I mean, it's, it goes deeper than that. God's going to do something through all those things. And we use the illustration of like lifting weights. It's like, how, how do you get stronger? Well, you put weight on somebody. And when they have the weight on, they're pushing themselves. And don't give up because that's how you push yourself to the point of making, building muscles. But God, I don't understand this. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. You get to the point where you say, I just don't get this. Let him ask of God. Gives to all men liberally and braideth not, and it shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. If you're going to ask God and you're going to the one that's the ruler of all, then, then go to him with confidence, knowing that he has it all worked out. Nothing wavering. If you, if you waver, you're like a wave of the sea, driven uh, with the wind and tossed. You're all over the place. Your emotions are all over the place. And we see people like that. Sunday, God is so good. Oh, man, let's sing that song again. And then Monday, it's like, I think God hates me. It's like, wait a minute. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. That's right in this passage. It's all connected to that. So you can't be so up and down with this. If you ask God, he's going to give you liberally and abradeth not. Verse 12, blessed is the man that endureth temptations. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. When he is put to the test, God says that good things are going to come from it because I'm going to make you stronger. I'm going to make you better. Uh, Don't quit. He that endureth, don't quit. And so this is what we talked about last week. And this is pretty much as far as we made it. And we had a lot going on. But I, sometimes we go through things like with life, and it's just life is hard. I don't even know any other way to how to explain it, but life is hard. Um, I, I started thinking back uh, about Jen and I going through Bible college. So we got married, literally got married, went to Disney World, got married on Saturday. We went to Disney World, literally started driving that night. And uh, we got to Disney World, uh, was there for six, seven days, and then we drove back to Jacksonville we had a few uh, days over the summer that were free, started our jobs, and then we started school. So, man, it was, I didn't know what we had coming our way. I mean, you know, we'd never been married and in college before, but we had three years left. Over, I had over three years left because I still had to make up from the classes that I changed my major. And so during that time, uh, we would get, I'm not saying this is a cry, it was just the way that it was. We would get up and have breakfast, and I remember taking empty uh, water bottles and we would, we, would, we would pour into the water bottles uh, uh, orange juice, and we would have them all lined up because we had to grab everything to go because we would be leaving the house at 6.30 to be at school by 7 o'clock. Then we would keep our lunch in the car so that when we went out to the car after lunch, and in Florida, a lot of times it would get so hot that our lunch would be ruined or whatever, but we would keep our lunch in the car. And then we would eat on our way to work because we, had, we both worked full-time jobs. And then I had to pack my dinner because when I got on break, I'd have to go to dinner. And that was uh, all three of our meals. I mean, that, that was our life, was go, go, go constantly. I mean, there was no breaks. 
And then on the weekends, we did Christian service. She worked every other Saturday. I would have to work sometimes. I was, I was a chaplain at a juvenile detention center on Sunday afternoons. I did a, a ministry on Sunday nights, and I was part of a class on Sunday morning. It would just go, go, go. And during that time, I'll be honest, guys, there was times that me and Jenny had heart-to-heart conversations and said, I just don't want to do this anymore. And have you guys ever been through something you're just like this is just too much whether it's a job or it's a it's something and you just say I just don't want to do this anymore I'm, I'm worn out this is just I'm tired of this there was times that I would work and I'd have to go home and do uh, projects well I, I wasn't going to fail when you're paying your way through college you don't fail okay you want to know a way to not fail a class make them work their way through college because they're like do or die I am not repeating this class and that, that's how it was. So I was like working my way through. So I would have to stay up sometimes. And then we got to the end and we found out that our graduation was going to happen on our, our anniversary. And so me and Jenny gra- got married on May 10th. And then we were so excited that on May 10th, three years later, we were able to grab hands, hold each other's hands in our, in our robes and walk down the aisle on May 10th, three years later, but this time was to get our diploma and not just get married. And let me tell you, looking, being in that trial of all those days and all the trials, and we didn't have a washer and dryer, so we'd have to, we'd have to get our clothes to span throughout the week. And then every Saturday, I'd have to go to the laundromat because we didn't, we didn't have a washer and dryer. So we'd have to plan on getting court. Anyways, it was just a, a world. And now I just look back, and you know what I think of? I think, praise God. Because I'm telling you, the lessons that we learned, the character that it developed, and, and the time that we had, and the persevering, and watching God go through it, and, and not having money to buy tires, and not having the money to go see our parents, and watching God provide every bit of it and open the doors. We were graduating on May 10th, and the week before, on May 7th, I was invited up to Fellowship Baptist Church to interview for a position. Uh, on that Sunday night of May 7th, Pastor Denoff called me in his office And he literally said the words to me. He said, Tony, he said, I don't know why I'm doing this because I don't even know your last name. He said, I can't even say your last name. Pastor Denoff used to say that all the time. He said, I can't even say your last name. And he said, and yet I've got two other guys that I'm supposed to be candidating. But he said, man, he said, I'm telling you, I truly feel like God wants me to ask you to be the youth pastor of our church. And I had no idea at the time why. And and just seeing how God orchestrated and worked it out and everything like that. The trying of your faith changes you. And and sometimes when your faith is never tried, you never know what you got. It's never been put to the test. You've never been through anything. You've never been challenged at anything. So it's, 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 it's almost like God saying at times, how serious are you? Because I want to do more with you. But I can't, I can't do more with you until you're, like I said, and I'm sorry if I'm wearing out this illustration, until you, until you put down the 30-pounders and you lift up the 35-pounders because you know what that is? The only way to increase your weight is to increase your weight. You have to push yourself. And if you always stay at the 10-pounders and you, and you stop when it gets uncomfortable, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. I'm just thinking of, okay, I'm going to look at Dominic. When you get the 5-pounders, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> You just, you never get past because you never, you never build a muscle up. And that's what this whole passage is all about. And I want you, 
I just want you to view life differently because life is hard. And sometimes, like we said, life is hard because you make it hard. Okay, you're not following God. You're not doing the right things. And this pastor says it. And life is hard because you're reaping what you sow. But sometimes life is hard because God puts you through boot camp because he's got something more for you. But here's the warning. All right, we get into the stuff we didn't get into. Verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God. For God cannot be, be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. It, it's not a contradiction because this is not saying when you get tempted or tried that you're being tempted with God because we already know that God will allow these things to go. But he's talking about the stress that comes. Can I, guys, when you, when you put under pressure, what happens in your life is you get stressed. And all of a sudden, you really know what you're made of. I know I've said this so many things at times. If you want to know what something's truly made out of, put a little pressure on it. And my youth pastor actually preached a lesson. I've used this illustration with you guys so many times. He stood before our class with an orange, and he said to us, and he said, if you want to know what this is made out of, he said, all I have to do is put a little pressure on it. And he said, I can promise you whatever on the inside is going to come on the outside. And that's what stress does. And you want to know what a Christian is made out of. You, you fill your life up with what? I, hopefully it's the word of God and walking in the spirit and knowing God. But the thing is, once you get a little pressure on you, you're going to see what they're actually made of. And he says, let no man say when he is tempted these, uh, uh, that I'm tempted of God. If, if no man say when he's being led astray. Because what happens is when temptation or trials or when heaviness comes into your life, that's when people are like, this is how I'm going to deal with it. I need to drink. Or this is how I'm going to drink, deal with it. I, I need something to take the edge off or whatever. And, and people will go through marriage situations and say, man, this is just really hard. And I ended up having an affair. I ended up doing this. Why? Because God pushed me to my limits that I couldn't handle it anymore. And the Bible is literally saying in this passage, no man, when he is tempted, said that I am tempted of God, for God cannot tempt with evil, neither he tempteth any man. God doesn't do that. But a lot of times we, we counteract what we're going through uh, to kind of level things out with things that are going to take off the edge. Um, and it's talking about that. It cannot tempt us with evil. God never leads us to sin. God will never lead you to do anything that goes against Scripture. Uh, but it says that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Every man messes up when he starts listening to their flesh. So let me use the illustration like this. Here's what God's really trying to do is get us involved in the Bible, to, to be connected to the Bible, to grow in the Bible, to grow in our faith, literally to, to cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. That, that's the thing that he's doing. But if we're going to illustrate this, but let every man, okay, that is tempted. Why does it say every man? I don't care who you are. You're not above this. It doesn't matter. I've been in church my whole life. I, I have 25 degrees. It doesn't matter. Let every man, when he is tempted, when he is tempted, when he is drawn away of his own lust. The whole idea is let a person take his eyes off of God. And when you're tempted and you're tried and you're going through things in life, it's easy to take your eyes off of God. And this is what happens. You get drawn away of your own lust. You think of David as an illustration. It begins by just simply turning away from what is right. Uh, we, we often talk about David and Bathsheba and, and the sin that he did, uh, but it didn't start that simple. It started off with him getting out of rhythm of what he was supposed to be doing. The word enticed means entrapped, allured, 
Okay, it grabs you, it captures your attention, it captures your thinking. Uh, let me use a simple illustration because you guys are all going to uh, identify with this. Uh, so on, that, on the table over there, there are th three jars of candy, and we've been doing this at the Christmas party, but tomorrow is our prime timers luncheon. And as they're coming in, instead of just doing a door prize, give everybody a, a fighting chance at it so they can just guess the number of M&Ms and stuff like that in the jars. So it's the candy jar guess. So I had Jenny do all the counting, and she's laying it all out. So I decided that I was just not going to eat sweets for the rest of the day, or not going to eat sweets because I, I'm eating way too many sweets right now, just the, just the way that it is. So I remember coming home, and she had all this candy spread out on the table. And I walked in there, and I'm thinking, no, I'm not going to do it. She goes, this is all extra right here. I said, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, I'm not eating any of it. She goes, okay, whatever. Then I walk in the other room, and I'm thinking, those were caramel M&Ms in that one pile. <laughs> I love caramel M&Ms. And then I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to go in there. And then before long... I'm walking back in the room, and she goes, what are you doing? I'm like grabbing them, and then I leave, and they go back. When you get your eyes on the wrong thing, and you get it off of what God's doing, let me read the, uh, the word. You're entrapped, deluded, allured. Okay, you take the bait. It grabs your attention. It grabs a hold of you. Then when lust hath conceived, it gets into your heart. See, everything that we do in life, whether it's right or wrong, comes from the heart, out of the abundance of the heart. That's why the Bible always talks about the heart being the seat of emotions. That's why the Bible says, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. If your heart is not right, your actions will follow whatever that is. That's what, how it works. So when love that's conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. I, I, I think that is such a powerful illustration because the word conceived means to grab onto. It seizes your mind, it grabs a hold of you, it begins to control you. It's just what sin does, and we're all weak to that. It's just the same way with the M&M illustration. It gets in your head. Think about this. David and Bathsheba, it says, these, these are the words. When you're drawn away, he got all, when he should have been off the war, he, instead he stayed back. He was enticed. He went to the rooftop, he sees Bathsheba, and then he's enticed. When lust hath conceived... The desire to turn it into action. It gets into your heart. And what happens when it's in your heart? It comes out your actions. It brings forth sin. Brings her to the house and he sleeps with her. Gets her pregnant. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. What is death? It destroys what it gets its hands on. Her husband, uh, Uriah, was killed by the orders uh, of what he, he told him to pull back. And, and he... He manipulated the situation to try to get himself out of trouble, and that's what happens. So how do we defend ourselves? Do not let it conceive. Do not let it get you enticed. Abstain is what the Bible says. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain for fornication. The things that we were not meant to handle in life when it comes to temptation, God simply says to stay away. Don't dabble in it. Don't, don't play with it or whatever. And the reason why he's doing this is because all of us are going to hit low times. And when you're in low times, when you're tempted, when you're going through trials, in the low times, that's when Satan works in your brain. Amen. That's when he pulls you into those uh, websites. That's when he pulls you into relationships. That's when he pulls you back into the bar. That's when somebody says, here, take this pill, take the edge off, whatever it is. It's always a temptation. 
But this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you just abstain in fornication. Fornication is often used because it's a physical attraction. It's something that uh, controls you and uh, appeals to your flesh. First uh, Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims that you abstain from fleshly lust. What is the key word in both of those passages? Abstain. Don't fight it. Don't sit there and say, I'll be strong enough. You're not strong enough. Abstain from it. So verse 15, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. It's, it's a journey. It conceives. It brings forth sin, and sin, notice these words, when it is finished. Have you ever thought? It, it just, it not, not all at once. It's, it slowly takes you on a journey. It's, I, I think of it, I hate, I hate using this illustration, I hate it, but it is like a disease, it's like cancer. It gets in, grabs a hold, and it slowly tries to destroy. And that's what it does. And the whole time, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. And the warning is, when love has conceived, when it finally hits your heart, when it begins to change your mind, it begins to change your actions, it brings forth sin and sin is powerful. I, we hate to admit it, but it's true. Because when it is finished, when it has, when it has an effect in your life and in your relationships and in your marriage and your reputation and your testimony, it brings forth death. It's out to destroy it. That's what it does. And then he says in verse 16, do not err, my beloved brethren. It's almost like him saying something like, don't get off track. Don't don't err. Don't, don't think, don't get off track of what God's saying. Don't think that you got this. Stay focused. Guard your hearts. So let me just review a little bit because this is where we were finishing off last week. Is The whole point of this is God wants better for your life. In every single one of us, God has better for you. He's not going to keep you where you're at. And you, you, can't, you can't lead two kids unless you learn to lead one kid. And you can't lead that one kid until you learn to be a great dad. And you can't wear, learn to be a great dad until you become a good husband. And you can't be a good husband until you learn to be a good boyfriend. You, you know what I'm saying? And everything that God has for us, God has these levels of bringing us through. And every single one, before you graduate to the next level, before God's able to use you in the next capacity, he might just put you through that boot camp or that testing or that trial to see if you're ready. It's the same thing in school. Morgan right now, she was staying up. She's taking her uh, midterms at school, and, and she's just studying, studying, studying. Why? We're not going to let you get to the next class until you've accomplished this class, the trying of your faith. And if you don't get it, ask of God. You're thinking, Lord, why are you putting me through this? Ask of God. And it warns us about being a double-minded man. For anybody that's going to uh, be in church and praising God, and this is the way to live, and then we live another way on Monday. The Bible says that person is unstable in all their ways. That's why we're to live out on Monday what we're learning on Sunday. But then it gives us this powerful statement to put into our minds as we face trials. Because Satan will mess with you. Guys, the heart, it, is, it is mentally hard dealing with trials. It is, it is mentally hard. If I was to tell you guys that I don't battle mentally with things, I would be lying through my teeth. It's just because every time I'm just thinking that there's going to be this breakthrough happening. And sometimes when the breakthrough doesn't happen, I have literally taken out my phone when I've met with the doctors before when we're getting scans. And I started recording. 
literally because I was so confident that he was going to come in and say, you won't believe what just happened, and I want to capture the moment. And then you know what I've heard more than often, more often than I want to, is uh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like turning off the, like, okay, okay. Like, like I don't want to record that. And it just, it messes with you. It's just like, you know, Satan works in your mind of, okay, you're not praying enough, or you don't have enough faith, or you're not strong enough, or you're not, you know, you know what I'm saying? And you say, well, you're a bad Christian. No, I'm human. And every person going through trials, when you're going through things, the, one of the biggest things you're going to battle, even more than what the situation is, it's your mind. Your, Satan will mess with your mind. And so James, when he gets to this part, it's almost like I need to establish something that you guys get it. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it cometh down from the Father of lights, and whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God only gives us that which is good. And I know we could sit here and talk about circumstances right now and be like, yeah, well, what about this? What about that? Because some things we don't understand. It, it is tied to this again. It seems like when life is falling apart and things don't make sense, that maybe God's not good or God's not in control. Luke 11 says it like this. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, he, will he give him a stone? For he asked for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If he asked for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? We, it's the same thing in Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Then you're thinking that all things work together for good, but then you experience something in your life that absolutely is not good. I mean, I, I could point to things in our journey, and I said, that, I don't care how you spin it, this is just not good. I heard an illustration one time that made perfect sense to me. Maybe you guys have heard this before. It's, it's, like, it's like somebody making cookies. If you were to take a handful of flour and eat it, would you say that it was good? If you were to take a handful of baking soda and eat it, would you say that it was good? You know, even really when it comes to a handful of sugar or, or you know, whatever it would be, no matter what it is, you, you, would, you would say this is not good. But when your mom or your wife or whoever puts it together and she begins to mix it all together and make the cookies, all those things work together for good. And the result of it is, is this didn't taste good and this didn't make sense and your kid would say, I want cookies. And then you're like, okay, grab the flowers. Mom, this is not cookies. I know, just wait, have patience, trust me. All of these pieces are going to work together for something good. To them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. It's not the immediate outcome that happens. And the thing is, during the time, you have to just trust the mom that's pulling all the separate ingredients that she knows what she's doing because she has the rest. She knows the outcome of what this is going to do. So does God. It says, to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. It's not just for your purpose, but according to his purpose, because God's doing something bigger than what you can see. A perfect illustration is Joseph. Would we be able to say that everything that happened in his life was good? No. I mean, betrayed of your family, 
I mean, sold Potiphar's wife. I mean, e- even being in prison and saying, I got you, dude. I'll let, I have your back when you get out. And they forgot about him over and over again. It was just bad thing after bad thing that happened. But what was his testimony looking back at the end of it? He was put in that place for such a time as that, rose up in the kingdom, saved thousands of people and other nations beside them. And this is what Joseph said, fear not for I am in the place of God. How did he get there? Because God allowed those things to happen. But as for you, ye ought to thought evil against me, but God meant it under good to bring it to pass as this day to save much people alive. All of those things work together for good. And, and that's why we've got to understand that even when God gives us something and it doesn't make sense, you've got to have it nailed down in your mind and in your heart that every good gift comes from God. And there, there is no variableness, neither turning. Look, look at this illustration that he says. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It cometh down from the Father of lights. Cometh down from the Father of lights. The Father of lights is the Father of truth or the Father of, uh, Father of power. It is a description or visual of the sun. I love when God gives a visual of something. Okay. Think about it on the power of the sun. One of the things that is most consistent or always consistent in our world is the rising of the sun and the going down of the sun. I mean, literally, I'd say you could count time by it, but you literally can count time by it. I mean, it's, it's, it's just that thing. But here's the thing. Sometimes we will question whether or not the sun is shining because there's overcast and you can't see it. But I can tell you when it comes to the sun, there is no variableness. It's going to be consistent. It's always going to be there. And sometimes there's going to be storms and sometimes there's going to be tornadoes. But I can tell you on the other side of that, the sun is still shining. And that's the whole illustration of this. You can count on it that God is consistent no matter what. And things of this kind of world are going to come and cast a shadow or cast an image that God is not good at the time. But with God, there is no variableness. Neither is there shadow of turning. That's what that's talking about. Of his own Will he begat, uh, or of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be kind, a kind of first fruits of his, uh, of his creatures. Um, we are part of his plan. The begat literally is talking about we are a spiritual generation which God is going to do great things through. How do we know this? With the word of truth. It's amazing how all of these things is simply coming together because God wants to do something great through us. Think about the people in the Bible that God did great things through. Think about Moses. Say, Moses was able to stand there and watch this, uh, uh, the Red Sea be split in half, which is awesome. I think if there was something in history that I'd love to see, that's the moment, okay? I, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, there's tons of things that happen in the Bible. I'd love to have been there in that moment to see the Red Sea split. But if Moses was to come back and say, dude, let me go back and tell you about being raised in Egypt and on the backside of the desert, it didn't just start off that way. God wasn't able just to put him into that position. He had to go through some stuff to prepare him for what God was going to do from that. He calls us this to be a first fruits of his creation or of his creatures. He puts us first. He makes a priority out of us. We're special to God more than anything else on this planet. God views us in this way. God calls us just like he calls the 12 disciples. He said, wherefore, my beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. All right, now it's, now, it's, now it's confession time. Who would say that you struggle with that? Raise your hand. Okay. 
there's a reason that it had to be written. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. People are people, no matter what background or whatever, no matter what age, whatever. Even back here in the Bible, people are here. People are, are struggle with these things. We can run our mouths before we ever stop to listen to what God is saying. The, what is the context in this? When trials and hard times and things go, come into our life, it's amazing how we begin to lose the reality of what we say, of how we lose our filter. He says, you better be slow, uh, swift to hear, listen to what God's saying, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And so let's break this down. Um, he's talking about slow to, slow to speak, but quick to hear. There's a reason that God gave you two ears and one mouth. And I know we joke about that, but it's true. To be able to listen to what other people have to say, listen to what God is saying before we start running our mouth. Uh, he says, uh, and slow to wrath. Literally, if we're going to be like Christ and use like Christ is, we've got to be able to control our temper, control what's happening in our lives. Uh, let me break this verse down because I thought it has so much application. It says in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Now, this is applying to a verse that we're going to get here in a minute, to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Um, so let's just break this down. I, I need class feedback on this. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Okay, first of all, how much corrupt communication is allowed to leave? None. None. So, and I'll ask you, what is corrupt communication? Anything evil, anything tearing down, anything that goes against God. But it's the opposite of what is the use of edifying. And you think about what, what are some illustrations of that which is used to edifying? Praising God, encouraging people, spreading the gospel, edifying. Hey, let me just put it like this. Even confronting something that's false. Confronting your kids, uh, correcting your kids, whatever it is. But that which is use of edifying. If somebody comes up and says, oh, my mom got on to me for doing this. Well, she was doing her job because that's to the use of edifying. That it may minister grace to the hearers. What, how does grace apply in that passage? Think about it. What does the word grace mean? Unmerited favor. Getting what you don't deserve. So what should come out of your mouth? Kindness. What if they don't deserve it? <laughs> Give it to them anyways. How does, that, how does that deal with like Christians? Okay, can we just be honest? I'm talking about Christians. I have had the most amazing conversations with people that have told me things like, well, I just had to give them a piece of my mind. And I have confronted and I say, and I, I, this is specific conversations that I've had with people, and I'm like, can you explain to me how that's biblical? And you say, I know what you're saying is right and wrong, but you just don't know the old me. That's, this was literally a conversation that I had with somebody one time. And I'm like, okay, let's rewind. Who can tell me what's wrong with that statement? We're not the old me. Why is that? New creature. All things are passed away. The Bible talks about the old man. So that might be very true, but the Bible talks about not only has he restored us to salvation or new life, but the Bible talks about the renewing of your mind to think differently. How do we get the renewing of our mind? We do what we're doing right now. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of that mouth, but that which is the good of use of edifying. 
that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Grace is being able to give people that which they might not deserve, but you give it to them anyways. Um, I was, I, I, I struggled. I, I had a, a situation. I'm going to actually tell this story on Sunday, and um, I've been waiting to tell this story to the church for a while. Um, I, I went on a trip with Morgan, and I was in a car accident, and I totaled a car, and this was like two months ago. And I have never really told a bunch of people the story. And, and, uh, but anyways, uh, it was a car, rented car, and the car rental company left me on the side of the road till almost 1 o'clock in the morning. And at 8 o'clock, they told me that they had somebody to come pick me up. Well, anyways, a lot of time has gone by, and it's been like two months. And today, I got the, the message from the car rental company telling me how much money I owe them. And so I took it all, and I'm listening. And afterwards, I wanted to give them a piece of my mind. <laughs> I really did. And they were like, well, sir, you committed, and you owe this processing fee, and you owe this, and you owe all, all the time that the car hasn't been in use. You have to pay that fee. And by the way, I, I hit a deer, and I totaled the car, and they told me today that I totaled the car, and that's under me and all this other stuff. So anyways, Ed, I am sitting there in my flesh. I am just boiling, and I'm thinking the whole situation that I was in it was a debacle, and they left me from 8 o'clock till almost 1 o'clock in the morning on the side of the road. Anyways, if you want to hear the rest of the story, you got to come Sunday. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not going to get, I, I've been saving this story for Sunday. But anyways, I, I, I told her, and I was like, oh, ma'am, can I tell you my side of the story? And I told her, accident was my fault. Uh, not my fault, but it's just nothing that I could do about it. I signed the papers, and I hit a deer. That's what happened. And, and I said, but I told her here what's going on. And she said, can I tell you that I appreciate you just telling me that? And she said, you know what? Um, she said, I might be able to help you my end and, and actually cut back on some of these fees. And she said, I, I don't normally do that. But she said, I just feel like with what you went through that we should be stepping up to help you and have your back. And I'm thanking God, thank you for not letting me be a jerk. Thank you for not letting me be a jerk. <laughs> Because I wanted to be a jerk. <laughs> You're like, you can't be a jerk. You're a pastor. Sometimes pastors are jerks. <laughs> but and she did that. And then she, afterwards, she sent me the customer care number for our, I can report my story and what happened and how it happened and all this other stuff and things. But grace is powerful. You know why? Because when you begin to give out grace, it not only edifies the way that God said that it would, it questions People are asking, why are you doing that? I, I'm telling you, in the shortage right now of going through drive throughs and they don't have enough uh, people and things like that, you have two options when you get to that window. <laughs> Do you guys know what the two options are? You can be yourself, or you can literally be, thank you for working so hard. I had this lady that was uh, just completely apologetic and, and apologizing over and over again. I said, ma'am, for the very fact that I sat in this, sat here at this thing and watched the window, you guys running around getting this done, I'm just thankful that you guys worked that hard. And she said, can I thank you for saying that? Because she says, we are doing our best, and sometimes we just get our face ripped off by everybody. Where did grace come from? It's, it's not. We didn't originate that. I mean, trust me, in your flesh, there's, there's nothing, no grace coming out. But you have an opportunity to show Jesus as you minister grace to the hearers. 
And it's amazing how far God will allow our uh, testimony to go just simply because we showed grace. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. For the wrath of man has nothing to do with what God's trying to accomplish. So let me just say, if your mindset is, I gave them a piece of my mind, you did not do the work of the righteousness of God whatsoever. And when we get in the flesh and we, when we get not in the spirit and we start doing things like that, it accomplishes nothing. And that's what that passage in Ephesians talks about. But then it makes application and we'll, we'll finish this up. He says, but verse 22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. I'm, I'm not even going to explain this. I'd like you guys to explain this to me. You guys tell me, out of the context of what we just heard, why does that verse mean so much? Think about where we're at right now. What do we do when we come to church, Wednesday nights, Sundays, Bible studies, whatever? What, what is our goal to sit down, open our Bibles, and explain the Scripture? I want to learn. I want to soak it in. I want to take it in. Now, if we're doing this, out of just repetitious, if, if this is tradition, it's like, I go to church on Wednesday nights. Why? I'm in the church every time the doors are open. Well, that's good to have it, but there's a purpose behind it. Amen. If, if you're going to come in and we're going to open up our Bibles and we're going to study James verses uh, 122 or 121, he's just saying, but here's the thing. You've got to learn to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. But why, why do you think he follows up deceiving your own selves? Because if you think you've accomplished something great because you heard it and you did nothing with it, you're deceiving your own self. It's not about how much you know, it's how much you apply. Amen. And, and, and that could be to where people, uh, religious buildings that people go into, places with steeples, and they feel good about themselves. I never miss a Sunday. Nowhere in the Bible does God say you're great for not missing a Sunday. What, what accomplishes what God wants to accomplish, the works of righteousness and the fact that you do what you hear. And obviously, we're all going to struggle with that. And I, I think of it like this. It's like going to the huddle, you know, on the football field and everything. One, two, three, go. And then everybody run to the sidelines and not do anything. You know what I'm saying? I think sometimes that's what church is like. It's like, Pep rally, let's reach people for Jesus. Let's live differently. Let's make, you know, let's, whatever. We, we have this thing. And then we, one, two, three, go. And then we don't do anything. Be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Make application to this. For he, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and he goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. It's a description of us getting out of the bed in the morning. And I hope this is one of the first things that you do. You get ready in the morning and you go to a mirror and you try to figure out what's messed up. And sometimes that might be longer for some people than others. And, and whatever, but it's, that's exactly what it's talking about. It's, it's a, a man beholding his natural face in a glass, or we would say today a mirror, where he sees himself, beholds himself, and then just goes his way. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, it looks fine to me. But the Bible talks about, but whosoever looketh in the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, that's what we do in Bible study, that's what we do in our devotions, that's what we do on Sunday. 
And you continue therein, being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So if you're the type that looks into the law of liberty and God says you've got a mouth or you've got a negative attitude or you've got a problem with lust or you've got an anger issue or you've got this issue or whatever, and then you're just like, oh, well, that's just the way I am, and you leave. That's, what, that's the same concept of it. It's like leaving eye bookers in your eye and not fixing your hair and you, you don't brush your teeth. That, you know what I'm saying? You just leave it all there and think it's not a big deal. He says, no. You behold your natural self in the, uh, in the mirror and you fix it. But whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty, which is the word of God, which is the authority. And if as Christians we know that that's where our authority is and you continue therein and don't forget, be a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. If any of you seem to be religious and brighteth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. If he makes the appearance, gives the appearance of this, literally shows up to the building, listens to the thing, says, says amen, and goes out and lives the same, and he doesn't bridle his tongue, even do the simple things as just controlling his tongue, this man has deceived his own heart and his religion is in vain. The, the word religion in that passage right there means ceremonial observances. Worship is in vain. Going through the process of going to church is in vain. Pure religion is undefiled before God, and the, father, uh, and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So it closes with an illustration. He said, let me just give you an illustration of this, about being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. He says, pure religion is undefiled before God. He said, you want, if you want an, un, uh, an illustration of what this means to live this out, he said, just go find people that need help and help them. That's, I, I don't know any other way to put it other than that. Visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. I, I think that is one of the reasons that our uh, widow ministry is so important because the Bible always holds those people in high, high regards. Do you know why it puts those people in high regards, widows and the fatherless? Because those are people that are dependent on other people. He says, just go be God to them. Go be Jesus to them and show them this. This is what it's truly about. So it's not about how many classes you've earned and how many years you can break on that you've been in church or I've been saved for this long. That's great. I think that's something special that we can use as our testimony. But the greatest testimony is when we actually apply the word and we do something different. And the illustrations that he gave in there is control your mouth. I, I think that is one thing that would make a distinction of us in the world around us is just minister grace to the hearers. Let them see something different in us. And, and I know he's just addressing different things, but a lot of this is even tied in the trials because of the fact is life is hard. Life is hard. 